Deadwood Soundwell. Not safe for work. Not safe for work. Not safe for work. Welcome to Not Safe for Network. I'm Biggs. And I'm Brandon. So the first item of news we got for the week, Dean Stockwell passed away at age 85 of natural causes. They didn't say what that natural cause was, but... Damn. Yeah. So we were just talking about him not that long ago with our Quantum Leap reboot. So of course he's known for Quantum Leap. Some other things he was known for was The Player. If you ever saw that movie, it was like a Robert Altman movie about what really happens when you try and get a film made in Hollywood and just how fucked up it is. I saw it in entirely too young it's one i've always meant to rewatch. yeah i hadn't seen that one uh let's see air force one he plays the secretary of defense in it little tiny role he's in blue velvet which i guess was pretty famous i still haven't actually watched all the blue velvet yet just haven't had a chance to sit down and watch it at some point i will should i just watch something the other night with him in it <sighs> Was it David Lynch's Dune? No. Because <laughs> he's also in that. Uh, he's in Battlestar Galactica when they rebooted it. Um, that was a big deal. And I guess kind of a spoiler if you haven't actually sat through the Battlestar Galactica show, which you should because I think it's the best science fiction show that's ever been on. The Cylons have model numbers and there's a number one, which is Dean Stockwell. Like he shows up in later seasons and he is essentially the Cylon that controls all the other Cylons. So they kind of brought in as a heavy hitter later. And then like Married to the Mob, which was directed by Jonathan Demi, which nabbed him an Oscar at the time. He was able to be like scary and very funny in that movie. Just an amazing career. Just, but far and away most famous for Quantum Leap, just being the lecherous owl who just like helped Sam through everything and somehow was like this womanizing piece of shit that also was very lovable as you could only do in the 80s and 90s i think so i just realized what it was a couple days ago it was uh john grisham's the rainmaker oh he plays the first too. judge okay yeah there's a shitload of people in that movie isn't there yeah there's so it's matt damon plays the lead in that and then claire danes is the love interest john voigt's the evil lawyer yeah, I remember that was one of those movies hearing Matt Damon in an interview a while ago saying, like, that was a movie where he's just like, yeah, my career is going to take off now. And it didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Turned out to be Goodwill Hunting that did that. But Oh, shit. Mickey Rourke was that. Youngest child had to watch that for uh, their law and justice class. Interesting. And it's probably, I mean, I've watched a f- quite a few courtroom movies over the years. This is probably more apt to real life courtroom situation than a lot of stuff. Okay. I want to dovetail back to something you just said. Did you say Mickey Rourke just died? No. Mickey Rourke was in that. Like, Oh. <laughs> he, play, he plays very like a real sleazeball lawyer. Because if you said that Mickey Rourke just died, I was totally believing you because he has not looked good for <laughs> no. a while. Even like Iron Man 2, I would have believed he would have dropped dead as soon as he finished <laughs> filming that. And I think that was the last thing I saw him in. So I don't know. Which was first, the rest or Iron Man 2? I think the wrestler was first. Okay. Yeah. So I would have believed it. <laughs> would have believed it at the wrestler, too. He looks fucking awful in that. They didn't even have to, like, make him look like a drugged out, like. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, he had that run of movies like uh, Sin City. Like, he looked awful in all of that. Yeah. They were just like, oh, there's this guy who's, like, popping again who just looks like fucking dog shit. <laughs> it's crazy, too, because he was a sex symbol when he started out. But we were talking about Dean Stockwell. So uh, another thing that I learned about him today was that before age 10, so, like, I think at age 8 and 9, he wound up respectively going on Broadway and then doing his first feature-length film. That's fucking nuts dude so he was in the hollywood eye almost his entire life pretty fucking close yeah like (laughs) that's crazy like 76 years of his life i mean like i guess he's been retired for the last nine years but yeah i think the last credit i just saw was like 2013 yeah so over 60 years on film like that's pretty good man that's a long run We'll miss you, Dean Stockwell. So you saw the new Dexter show, which I did not know was out yet. The first episode of, so they call it Dexter the New Blood, but then like, if you want to get around Showtime and look for it otherwise, it's Dexter season nine, episode one. It's interesting because the showrunner has been explicit saying this is a different series. Like, don't expect it to be like the old Dexter. So it's weird that they're just like, yeah, it's season nine. (laughs) Yeah. It makes me think that Showtime still got their fingers in with Dexter where the creators don't necessarily want it. But I don't know. What did you think? It's Dexter. (laughs) It's not good Dexter, but it's not bad Dexter. I mean, it's really just starting the world like he's living in now. As a lumberjack? Is he still a lumberjack? No. He uh, sells knives and guns at a like a hunting and fishing shop. Did they address the lumberjack thing? Or are you just supposed to get the idea he's like drifting around the Pacific Northwest? See, he's actually in New York. The fuck, dude? He like, went to not, the opposite coast? Yeah, he's like upstate New York, not like Maybe he wasn't City. in the Pacific Northwest before. I, I felt like they gave the impression he See, was. See, everything but. I've read, that even like the interview I r- talked about last week with uh, Michael C. Hall was he was in Oregon. Yeah, so, okay, so that wasn't just me. So it is, I think that's canon. Like, I guess you can like move around after like five or six years. That's not unheard of, right? Yeah. What name is he going by? James. Okay, so he is going with the alias. Yeah, at least for his public. He's still, his dark passenger is still Dexter. Okay, well, when you say that, who's his dark passenger actually? So his mentor role, which used to be Harry. James Remar, basically. Yeah, is now Deborah Morgan. So she's telling him to like stick by the code and stuff like that? No, she's like, you need to live a normal, like routine life. You need to like not kill people. So she's not a dark passenger. She's just conscious. Yeah, he's a conscience. So is he still killing people in the first episode? He wasn't until the end. Okay, so it's basically like he had kind of petered out. He had just set up a normal life for himself and then like some shit goes south on him and he's back to his old old ways okay is he excited to be back on his old not at all okay he just felt obligated to somehow yeah and it's one of those things like you could see where and it's always been a thing where his drive takes over when he sees something that's just like absolutely wrong right because that's a code his dad set him up with right right? yeah that you know he doesn't kill for sport or anything did he keep a slide of the blood or anything yeah so how much do you want spoiled on this? It's a big spoiler, huh? No, let's, not let's, really. Okay, well, so he has care. like two pieces. Like he sets up like this kill room, his usual Dexter kill room. Right. Um, has a guy on the table, and then like 
he does a thing where he, he had like two pieces of glass and like one was broken on the end and he cut his face with the glass and took a sample of his blood and then he's like, you know what? I'm evolving. I'm not going to keep trophies anymore and then kills the guy. That's a smarter move. Yeah. Considering he almost he almost got taken down from the slides before, right? Twice, I think. Yeah, I think Dokes came across it once and then somebody else and came And then LaGuardia took, like, found, kept finding slides. Was it LaGuardia? Yeah. For some reason, I was thinking it was, like, Peter Weller that one season he was on. Because I thought he, like, broke into his apartment and found him or something. He might have, too. Like, but I know, like... <laughs> That's all over the place. Yeah. Because, yeah, didn't he, like, somebody stole a bunch of his slides or something? I think yeah. that was Peter Weller, yeah. if I remember right. Yeah. Robocop himself. Yeah. But I'm interested to see where they go with it. They set up a lot of things, like he's in this small New York town. It's kind of like a... Big Sky here where there's a lot of money in the town, out, like outside money. Okay. So in other words, there's like a drug trade. Yeah, That's what probably. we'll find out. <laughs> that is what we'll find out eventually, I'm sure. It, it's basically the setup for Bates Motel. <laughs> Hopefully it's not a drug trade. Well, the It will be. It, like it'll come in somehow because how do you get a lot of people to kill? That's it's always something like that, right? Yeah. Like that's partly why they said it in Miami was because like there was so many violent murders going on for so long in Miami that it was just a natural place to set it, yeah. right? So the the money that they that's in the town right now is like Wall Street, like investments and people that are so high on cocaine in Wall Street. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you want to watch episode two next week, I will catch up by then and I can give my thoughts on the show as, as well because I am curious and my wife will be very excited to be watching some Dexter. So I will go somewhat reluctantly into the ride. Um, so Tom Holland was talking to Total Film about Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire and he said, people don't believe me when I say they are not coming back, but people People are going to have to believe me at some point. It means a lot to me. The first time you see Doc and the rest of the characters that come back, it's so exciting. And it's a huge moment in cinematic history. It's three generations coming together. So I have two thoughts on this. And I'm going to give the dumb one first. Three generations coming together? Yeah. You mean like three iterations of the Spider-Man franchise? Because that's not really generations. Yeah. In fact, I would say that 2001, when the first Spider-Man movie comes out, to 2021, that's a generation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would say that. I'm going to say furthermore, <laughs> your protagonist within that is two generations, right? Like, I'm pretty sure Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire were the same generation. Like, I'm pretty sure they're both X, right? Oh, yeah. I think Tobey Maguire is, like, around our age. And I think Andrew Garfield is, like, what, 20 years older than us? Something like that. <laughs> <laughs> He's got an AARP card. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Which, by the way, I've been going back uh, for a project I'm doing and listening to really old podcasts. And that was totally a joke that I made like back when the first Amazing Spider-Man was out. I was very nonplussed by his age. And so I think that's what encouraged it. But I love that you went to the same joke like 10 years later. <laughs> but the second thing is I am taking what he said and then Andrew Garfield straight up denying it. Toby Maguire not talking about it and Kevin Feige saying that people need to temper their expectations. And I'm starting to wonder, maybe we don't get all three Spider-Man? Like, maybe this is actually a thing. 
Like, am I wrong in thinking that? Because I did see a picture that really, really looked like Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire together. It was on a big set that was up against a green screen. And so it looked like they were doing like a building thing. But it's kind of possible. Maybe that was even for Morbius or like a future Sony movie. You know what I mean? Like, it could be that we've just gotten this mixed up and like they're going to be in something else that's not involving the MCU. Or it is what we is and they're trying to... I mean, that could be, but that's what everybody's been assuming. But now I'm starting to wonder, like, maybe we do got this wrong, you know? Like, I know that Tom Holland was hanging out with Tobey Maguire at a concert, but it's also like, they both played Spider-Man. They're both in New York. Like, it kind of makes sense that maybe they, like, reach out and go to hang out. Thought it might be funny if the paparazzi took some photo, and then they were just like, fuck, what did we do? (laughs) (laughs) And for Tobey Maguire, it makes total sense. Like, he hasn't been in a banger for a long long time so any kind of heat he can get has got to help and i don't think tom holland thinks the shit out like at all no so i don't know like i'm not saying that they're not in it i'm just saying it's becoming more possible to me that maybe they're not in it because i initially came to it not thinking they were in it and not understanding why everybody was saying it until i saw that picture but i didn't see tom holland in that picture which gives me pause and the fact that they have the toby Maguire outfit spray painted onto that morbius trailer does kind of make me wonder maybe we've just got this all backwards and he's like in that morbius movie if he's in something you know what i mean or You know, and it could be something where it's just like a quick 10 second flash of things too. That could be. Yeah. Yeah. You got a good point there. It could be like so quick that they're just like not wanting to get everybody's expectations up. Oh, here's a third possibility. Haven't they said over and over again that Spider-Man was supposed to lead into Doctor Strange? Like, as well as WandaVision, right? Right. Is it possible that maybe he runs across one of those Spider-Man for those movies? And so they're all telling the truth because they just, like, had Benedict Cumberbatch kind of around. And so maybe they, like, had Tom Holland nearby because they were, like, putting scenes together because it was cheaper to do it that way for, like, separate movies. Like, is that a possibility? Because they probably filmed portions of it in New York for both of them, right? I would think so. Like, if you if you got, if you have it all ready to go where you could just, like, you know, shut down a, sec- a street in New York for, you know, four days instead of three days, then... You know, it it that makes a lot of sense. That would be amazing if they weren't in the new Spider-Man movie and people were like let down or whatever. And then Doctor Strange comes out, what, a month later? Oh, they moved it back, didn't they? Yeah, they did. Comes out like three months later whenever it comes out. And then suddenly like, oh, this is where we get the other Spider-Man? That would be interesting. And maybe you don't even have Tom Holland in that movie, you know? I don't think they will. It doesn't seem like they will. It seems like this is the last hurrah for the Sony contract, at least for now. I mean, they might have reached arrangements that they haven't put out in the press, but it's very possible, right? Like Michael Keaton showing up in Morbius feels like an MCU thing, but also like they have Michael Keaton under contract. They don't need the MCU's permission for that, right? Like the Vulture is a Spider-Man property. So I don't know. There's some interesting things to go to. What what do you lean towards right now? I'm leaning towards the smokescreen. I think it's probably somewhat closer to what we think it is where it's, they have a real limited role, but I think they're in it. Okay. I think they're trying to not kill the surprise on that. So I think they're trying to throw up a smoke screen. Okay. What percentage would you say that that is? Like how, how sure are you from one to a hundred? I'll go 45. 
45%. That's not yeah. very sure. Uh, your theory right there, I think that's the most sound one I've heard, that they're in it, but they're in it for so short that's not even worth it. Or maybe even Andrew Garfield's not in it and that those posts were just doctored because like Sony pulled them down, which is what brought credence to it. But maybe they didn't pull it down. And that was just a rumor I read. <laughs> like I, it really seemed legit when I was reading it, um, but I can't remember where I read it from. I'm going to say, I think that your theory is correct. And I'm going to give it like 55%. I'm a little more sure. I think that they might be in it, but it's so tiny. They're trying to like lower expectations. I don't know. They also, apparently the new poster they put out for Spider-Man Homecoming, they got one of those. You mean ones, No Way Home? Or Yeah, No Way Home. Uh, they've got one of those posters that comes with the zoom thing where it's like super high resolution. And if you zoom in on part of it, it's just a speck on the regular poster. But when you zoom in, you can see the green goblin, his silhouette riding on a goblin glider, which was fun. But it's also like, dude, we heard Willem Dafoe's laugh on the trailer. Like yeah, and we saw we saw the pumpkin bomb. Yeah, we saw the pumpkin bomb. Also heard the laugh. I heard the laugh before I saw the pumpkin bomb, and I was just like, "That's Willem Dafoe." And I had heard that before, but like we straight up heard his laugh in the trailer. There was no mistaking it. Unlike you thinking that Palpatine's laugh was Mark Hamill. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that happened. <laughs> It's recorded. There's evidence. There's audio evidence that you thought that. And you said, like, your family thought that, too, or something. Like, you guys were all coming in. And everybody else is just like, what are you talking about, dude? Like, it was so obvious of Palpatine. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> don't gaslight me, dude. I know what's going on. Gaslighting doesn't exist. <laughs> one other, uh, <laughs> other Spider-Man thing to bring up here. So somebody interviewed Nicholas Hammond. And I have no idea why. I assume that he was in something else. And they just only did the interview to ask him this question. So he played Spider-Man on the old CBS show. And they asked him if he's in the the new MCU Spider-Man movie. And he said he was not. He was not asked. So I don't think anybody thought that. But I think they just asked it so that they could get the article. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) So Rogue Squadron was supposed to start filming at the year's end. It has now been delayed because apparently Patty Jenkins had prior engagements that they did not get into but everybody including myself is assuming it's wonder woman 3 so yeah and then i know she had what was it was the new gods and nope that's not happening no but she was attached to that and then it's not happening so there's a lot of things happen like behind the scenes going on there so i think that might be yeah i think the last person attached that was ava dunove ava duvernay or Duvernay, yeah. And uh, she, I don't think it's happening anymore. No, I it's think, not. Yeah. I think that got cut when her movie for Disney bombed A Wrinkle in Time. Like that movie bombed terribly and it seemed like her career just went like after that happened. So the hope is that they'll be able to pick it back up with her when she has a window. But there's that phrasing like the hope so i'm wondering if it's possible that they get another director or if they just drop the project altogether because lucasfilm is fucking busy dude they've got the book of boba fett coming out another season of mandalorian coming out and then 10 more star wars shows 
Not to mention they also announced that Taika Waititi Star Wars movie and Kevin Feige is producing a movie which may or may not be Taika Waititi's movie. We don't know. So that's a lot, dude. Plus Indiana Jones 5 and uh, they're working on the Willow show. So LucasArts is fucking busting at the seams right now. So I hope it still gets made. I would like to see a Rogue Squadron movie. I think it's interesting. Like a Star Wars Top Gun. I'm all about it. Just don't get Tom yeah. Cruise. <laughs> God. Just nobody with Scientology in that movie, please. <laughs> um, Alanis Morissette is having her life developed into a comedy for ABC. I don't know anything aside from that. They threw out a bunch of names I'd never heard of and wasn't interested in that. But, like, I'm going through, like, all the stuff I'm thinking about with Alanis Morissette and trying to picture how that becomes a comedy show. And I'm wondering if it centers around her being a, a preteen slash teenager, maybe. Because, like, she was on You Can't Do That on television television like the do you remember the oh yeah i remember yeah so for people who are not aware if you grew up with nickelodeon and you remember the slime being dropped on people's heads that came from you can't do that on tv which was like this canadian sketch comedy show with kids and then they had these two adult actors that would play all these characters as well and uh whenever they said water they would get a bucket of water no it's i don't know no whenever they said water they got water dumped on them and when they said i don't know they got slime dumped on them they had water and slime as the conventions but nickelodeon ran with the slime so she was on like four or five episodes of that i think and i don't know how many they did but it was a nickelodeon show back in the 80s so probably not very many because their strategy in those times was like if a show's a hit you do two seasons and then you never do another episode because in two years it'll hit the next age group and they'll watch it and then you just keep recycling those two years of episodes until like the show's not relevant anymore and then you kill it right like hey dude two seasons like yeah all of that shit was like two seasons and i think the first show that they actually went longer than that was ren and stimpy because ren and stimpy was such a huge hit they wound up doing a few seasons and then moving it to mtv and doing all this other stuff because mtv also i think they're viacom and they also own nickelodeon so and then you got like spongebob which has just been in perpetuity for a long fucking time but back in the olden days it was just two years and you're out. So guess how many seasons of it you can't do that on television ever. Before we answer that, I did just state that as if it was a Nickelodeon show. But now that I'm thinking about it, it's a Canadian show that was on Nickelodeon. So you give me pause there. Ten. Wow. Ten seasons. There was no way all those 144 seasons. episodes. Yeah, there was no way those were all on Nickelodeon. <laughs> There's no way. I was like, because I remember seeing quite a few different seasons growing up of that. Really? Yeah. I don't. And I love that show, but I don't know. Yeah. What? When did it run from? It ran from 1979 to 1990. Okay, 79, so I'm, sh- I'm sure, is before Nickelodeon exists, right? Yes, absolutely. So it's probably like a Canadian show and then like Nickelodeon maybe goes into either co-production for a couple of seasons or they just buy a couple of seasons, right? They might have syndicated that from Canadian television too. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. Dude, I still remember the theme song to that where it's like, dun, 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 and the kids get turned into sausage and stuff. It was kind of like this thing where you like see the kids going in a conveyor belt and all this shit. And like it, it was kind of like a Terry Gilliam esque opening, I think. Yeah, it was. It was kind of like the, the animation. Yeah. And it was very similar to another brick in the wall. But... I was thinking that too, the conveyor belt. I think they get turned <laughs> into sausage in part of it. Yeah. But I, I hesitated saying that because I was like, uh, maybe not. 
<laughs> yeah, probably. There's probably just some high dudes in Canada who are just like, hey, let's let's do another break in the wall part two in here, eh? Yeah, it sounds good, eh? Take off. Anyway, so I'm hoping some you can't do that on television content on this Alanis Morissette show. She's also a teen pop star before she hit it big with Jagged Little Pill. So And cr- she also dated Dave Coulier. Yeah. I don't know <laughs> how much of like a comedy you get out of that, right? I don't, like I don't that's know. That's fucking weird for for people who aren't aware of that. So it was always wondered who she was singing You Ought to Know About. And it turned out, like, there's a rumor for a long time. It was Dave Coulier who was on Full House. He's on a Nickelodeon show called, what was it? Wasn't just the Dave Coulier show? No, but that might have existed. I'm not aware of it. But there was something (laughs) else he was on. And it had the guy from WKRP. I think it was Out of Control or something like that. The rumor was that he was the guy she went down on in a theater and she was singing that song to him. And it turned out it was true. Like she was one of Dave Coulier's daughter's friends who was the same age. And then he slept with her. Like that's so fucking skeezy, dude. Just ugh, Dave Coulier. Gross. Yeah. A lot of history there with Alanis Morissette. I'm not sure how much they're going to mine for comedy out of this, but... It'll be interesting. So Ghostbusters had a final trailer that came out. We see like like Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, like little babies jumping out of a package. And then one of them winds up going into like a blender or something. But like at the very end of it, you hear very clearly Bill Murray saying, hey, have you missed us? So that was like the big appeal of that trailer is like, hey, we got Bill Murray. What are you thinking about this right now? I am all in, but I, I've always been a Ghostbusters. Like I, I liked Answer the Call. I just watched it a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. like rewatched it again. Um, so I still like it. I don't see what everybody is pissed about. I, I rewatched it and that shit is funny. I got to be honest, man. I'm less excited for this one. It was the slow realization over the commercials that, like, this is a kid's story. Like, I saw the first one, and there was some kids, but I was like, maybe they're the ones just finding Ecto-1 or whatever. And then the second trailer, it was like, it really looks like a kid's movie. And then I've been going to the movie theater, and they're like, don't watch it on this screen. And they show a little phone, and they're like, watch it on this screen. And they fill up the entire thing, and it's like the kids, like, using the proto-pack out the side to get a go. And then I was just like, ah, fuck, I think this is about kids. And this last one just like solidified it. You see all four kids, they're all in Ghostbuster suits. And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like, I'm going to watch it. Don't get me wrong. Like, this podcast dictates I have to watch it. So, and I know my kid will probably want to see it. But I just like, I have this sinking feeling it's going to be a kid's comedy. And I just don't want to sit through that. I don't know. Like part of the reason why Ghostbusters was so special to me during my entire life was I loved it as I was a kid. But then as I got older, I loved it for different reasons. And it's still funny to me because like there's some inappropriate shit and some wildly inappropriate (laughs) shit for a movie that like kids went to, you know? Yeah. Like the ghost going down on Dan Aykroyd for no fucking reason shouldn't be there. Just a quick cut of that too. And it's like no setup or anything. Just like, yep, ghost blowjob. Yeah. Why? <laughs> why, dude? I don't know. But I love that it's in there because every time I go, why? <laughs> Vankman has a fucking date rate drug in his fucking kit to like put Dana out. Like that's fucked up. Thorzine, right? Like they yeah. didn't know Thorzine did that at the time, but he's still got it. Kind of <laughs> fucked up, dude. Even though that was an accident, you could see it with Vankman, right? Like he's not a good dude. No, like, he's not good at all. He has a degree in psychology and parapsychology and i don't think we see any evidence of either of those degrees 
at all in the movie outside of like he's at that college, right? Like that's it. We see him do nothing. He is not helpful in any way. He's not helpful in any way. And this, the only thing he does is put out Dana with the date rape drug. That's all he does. <laughs> I'm not seeing any date rape drugs in this movie. Not that I need it. I should walk all this back. Hold on. <laughs> I guess well, I'm excited for this. Upon recollection, I guess I'm excited for this wholesome Ghostbusters movie. <laughs> Please don't cancel me. <laughs> so I wanted to review the French Dispatch, which you said you were going to go to last week. Yeah, and I didn't get to it. I went on a hell of a journey to watch movies. First, I guess before I get there, first went to a movie two nights ago. And this was a situation where I told my wife I was going out to bar to meet some people. And then those people weren't there anymore because I waited too long. So I was like, fuck it. Because we had a really difficult week at work. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to go see a movie because I'm not expected back till late tonight. So I walked over to the movie theater and just looked at what was playing. And the only thing I hadn't seen that was around that time was Red Notice. I knew nothing about this movie. I went in completely blind. I had seen a trailer, which I realized when I started watching it, but like it wasn't a trailer I'd seen a lot. Like I think I'd seen it once or twice and like it didn't make an impression on me. So it turns out this movie is on Netflix. (laughs) 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 Whatever. I've gone to a bunch of HBO Max uh, movies, but I just went in fucking blind. And so what it is, is this movie about Ryan Reynolds playing basically Deadpool. I mean, like, he's not Deadpool, but he's Deadpool. Deadpool. You know what I mean? Like, very quick wit, doesn't think anything out, makes bad decisions, like, hemming and hawing at everything. You know what I mean? Like, he's doing the Deadpool thing. And then he's an art thief who really kicks ass at the beginning, and then you see very little evidence of that for the rest of the movie because they get their cool scene that they film with this new drone technology I was reading. They have some kind of, like, uh, 180-degree lens, and so it was all in this unbroken shot they got this really good drone pilot to do it and he's like going up this whole scaffolding after they go through all this parts of the hotel it's like really cool the way it's shot so he is being chased by this fbi agent who goes after scam artist played by the rock dwayne the rock johnson and dwayne the rock johnson is doing his dwayne the rock johnson thing charismatic but also like very flat very like law-abiding guy right so he's dwayne johnson Dwayne Johnson is playing Dwayne Johnson, essentially. So we're not getting a lot of uh, acting range here? Is that what you're Range? No, no, no. Then you've got the best art thief in the world because- Is that uh, Gal Gadot? That is Gal Gadot, yeah. Gadot. Yeah, whatever. She comes in and she's fucking charming. She steals every scene that she's in. She's very charismatic, very, very funny. I've seen her do this before. I saw her in another movie. But what I realized while watching this is like, I fucking love this movie because what they do is they take three movie stars who have personas like very very fucking identified personas to the public right right and then they don't take them out of it they know exactly what they can do and exactly what they're good at doing and then they let them do it for the entire movie and this movie starts out like a heist movie and then it becomes an action movie and then it becomes a con artist movie and it's got a little bit of all three elements throughout the entire thing but really it's like first act heist Second act, action. Third act, con man. It's fucking great, dude. I loved it so much. Is it going to win an Oscar? Fuck no. <laughs> like somebody somebody would be out of their fucking mind to nominate this for an Oscar. Do they want an Oscar? Fuck no, dude. They don't give a shit. They made a popcorn movie that I am shocked that they made for Netflix. Like this is the kind of movie that like 
two or three years ago would have made like $500 million in the box office. You know what I mean? It just would have been something that came out. People would have had a good time. They clearly spent a lot of money on all their set pieces and all the action set pieces. You're going to laugh through it. They don't take it very seriously, but it's just fun. And part of that might be like, I love con man movies. Like I fucking love any movie where one of your lead characters is fucking just conning the shit out of people and it never fucking stops. Like I love that shit. And in this one, you have a couple of con artists who are like pulling it over each other all the time. And I just, I don't know, man. It just, it tickled all of my pleasure centers for sure. Really, really enjoyed it. I guess go to the theater and watch it if you can. But if not, just fire it up on Netflix. It should be fine on Netflix too. Like it looked pretty fun on the big screen, but I'm sure it'll be just fine on your TV as well. It's a fun movie. Check it out. It's free. It's on Netflix. So I got to ask a quick question. Yeah. What's your favorite con movie? Con artist movie? Yeah. I'm on the spot here, so I've given absolutely no thought to this. And I love so many of them. That's a difficult question. But the first one that came to my mind was Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Nice. So I'll go with so that that's one. a solid answer. Yeah, I really, really love that movie. And I love the fact that uh, if you haven't seen it, it does. It, it should, has aged well. You should watch it. But uh, I love watching Steve Martin just like with his reckless energy <laughs> and playing like when Michael Caine is just like so sophisticated, but he's also got that con going. And then when they're trying to con that woman and he has Steve Martin like playing his his uh, invalid brother, Ruprick. <laughs> <laughs> She's like, why has he got that eye patch? And he's like, oh, his eye is fine. It's full of safety. And you see him like he's got he's eating with a fork and it's got a cork on it. He just keeps hitting his eye. (laughs) (laughs) Can I go to the bathroom? Yes, Rupert. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, he just sits there and like looks uncomfortable, gives like a weird face and then thank you. Uh, and the fact that the woman that they're trying to con fucking cons them at the end and then brings them back in after they like kind of decide they like each other. And uh, like basically she comes in and decides that she had so much fun conning them that she was going to bring them into the game. I fucking love that. It's a great movie. This movie brings that kind of energy for sure. Like it's exactly what I love out of a con artist movie. What's your favorite con artist movie? I mean, it might be Dirty Water Scandals, but it wasn't the first one that came to my mind. Okay. Opportunity Knocks. That's a fucking great movie. That's such an underrated comedy, dude. It's so good. Yeah. I think I like Dirty Rotten Scoundrels better, but I really, really like Opportunity Knocks, dude. Yeah, so that's like Dana Carvey back in his heyday when he's on Saturday Night Live. I feel like that was his first big movie where like he is the star of it, right? Yeah. Like it's pre-Wayne's World. He's playing a con artist who winds up breaking into this house to avoid a hitman because every fucking movie in the 90s had a hitman somewhere. Like if it was a comedy, they were about to get killed by the mob. Always. Always. (laughs) I don't know why. They're just like, is it a comedy? Then the mob is involved somehow, you know? (laughs) Like not always, but almost always, Yeah. There's a lot. It's like a 70% clip at least. So he's in this house and then a family comes in there and then sees him. And then they think that he's house sitting for some guy who left the country who's unreachable because we didn't have cell phones back in those days or at least not wildly available. And they're kind of a rich family and they set him up with the job and he winds up really liking the family. But also he's kind of a lovable piece of shit, right? Yeah. But I remember the way they sold that movie was there's a scene where he's in Chicago stadium is it chicago stadium is that where they watch the cubs yeah they're in a cubs game because i remember that's a big part of the plot 
Yeah, uh, Wrigley Field. But uh, Robert Lugia is his boss, and he's the one that, like, he's really into, is it hand dryers? The Milton hand well he's yeah it is it is it's hand dryers that's what he sells and these guys were just like yeah paper towels are still in like that's that's what we're gonna go with the overheads lower blah 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 and so they see him at a cubs game and so he shows up in the cubs game and then he makes himself look like george herbert walker bush because he was really famous for doing bush on saturday night live at that point carvey was and so he's like love that hand dryer thing love to rub my hands i don't like them paper towels they're bad they're bad like doing Mm -hmm. that whole thing right and then like of course they go in for the the air dryers but uh yeah dude that movie was pretty good i I feel like i mean it's probably not good but like i loved it yeah (laughs) anytime you can get a comedian doing a con artist that's my favorite right there you can get all sorts of people playing con artists but like that's the one now i know people are like come on man the hustler the Stang. i haven't seen these movies I I haven't seen Hustler, but I have seen The Sting. It's inexcusable that I haven't seen The Hustler because, like, I know that the sequel for that is a Martin Scorsese movie that he did, which is really fucking good from all accounts. It's, like, the only Scorsese movie I haven't seen. So, uh, The Color of Money, which has, like, Tom Cruise in it. So, I got to get around to watching that one. Old Tom Cruise is okay. It's, like, pre-Scientology Tom Cruise, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's fine. (laughs) Okay. So anyway, so I got my red notice thing out there eventually. Uh, So then I went to the French Dispatch last night, uh, went to the Myrna Loy Theater here in Helena. And by the way, I fucking love this theater. And it's gone beyond just like this little tiny place I used to live next to and like podcasting with Zach who worked there and like constantly still podcasting with like Alex Wolf who shows up who used to work there. We've had a lot of people with connections to the Loy on the podcast and I've had a lot more connections in my life but beyond that there was nobody i knew working last night and i show up because i'm not sure if i'm gonna get to see the movie because i had all this house drama and then finally it settled down just enough where i was like hey do you mind if i go to this movie like we're gonna review it tomorrow my wife's like fine go so i hop in the car as fast as i can it's playing at seven o'clock and the lady went out for a cigarette and then saw me and then like said something into the door and then I ran in and bought my ticket and went straight in and then it was like pitch fucking black when I walk in there. I've never seen a pitch black before and so I go and sit down and as soon as I sit down they roll the film. Like they waited until I went to sit down. That's awesome. Yeah, it was so fucking nice and cool. I was just like, fuck yeah, dude. And I was two minutes late but they were clearly about to fire it up and they were just like, I mean two minutes late because I had to buy the ticket. Right. Yeah, they held them off long enough for me to do it. So that's like the a nice little touch you get at the theater. And I knew what I was going into, first off, just to get that out there. It's the new Wes Anderson movie. It is a collection of movies within this movie. So basically, it is about a newspaper that's called The French Dispatch. And Bill Murray is the editor of it, and he loves his writers. And so they give a quick little story about him at the beginning. And that's just like a little 10 to 15 minute story that goes by so fucking fast, you have no idea what happens. And then you realize nothing really matters about it, except for he loves his writer and he doesn't want people crying when he comes in his office because this guy comes in the office and he's kind of like half crying about something he goes you're fired he's like why and he goes no crying and then the guy like turns around and looks up and there's this like plaque way high up that says no crying and then just hangs his head and walks out Why? I don't know. Because it's Wes Anderson and it's a fucking weird twee thing to do, right? And it's got to do like the tracking shot up to it, I'm sure. Yes, that's exactly right. (laughs) Now, 
Something else that's really interesting about this movie. It is in the 4-3 aspect, as if you're watching it really? on an old tube TV. And when I was first watching that, I was like, is that just for this short? And then realized like it was staying there. And I was so fucking happy because he did weird fucking things that you will not appreciate on a TV screen. I know I keep hammering the like, go see this in a theater. But for real, dude, if you have like an art place or whatever that's playing this movie, go see this because it is something else seeing it on the big screen. Like the way that he does it, he has has a lot of things where he composes the shot so that he he does like these really really far away shots and then he'll have something in the bottom right and then something in the middle left and then something in the top right it takes place in france for for big chunks of it and so when they will occasionally do subtitles they'll have the action on the lower third and then the middle third they'll start the subtitle and i'll do a line and then i'll do another line above that and another line above that and then like if you take the time to read all three lines it reads a different way but with the same idea no matter if you go like three, two, one, or one, two, three. Like he's taking it, to, like his OCD is going to another level, dude. But it's very, very entertaining to watch. And so after the Bill Murray story, there are four stories that are probably like 20 to 25 minutes long, somewhere around there a piece. Um, every fucking celebrity you can think of is in this, dude. Like everyone. Uh Benicio del Toro, uh, Christoph Waltz, fucking Edward Norton, Bill Murray, who I already said, Francis McDermott. Fucking name a star really quick. Uh, Scarlett Johansson. No, there's a model who kind of looked like her and I thought might be her for a while. Also, never seen a nude scene before in a Wes Anderson movie. And like this movie is fucking packed with nudity. (laughs) Really? Yeah, there's like this, my favorite segment, not because of the nudity, but because it just fucking in so many ways delighted me. They had this segment with Benicio Del Toro plays this very tortured artist who does all these different styles. But they open it with like him. He's sitting there and he's looking at a model and this segment's in black and white completely nude and they like hang on it for so fucking long and he's kind of like painting and then he like comes up to her and he starts like painting a little bit on her like he's like doing like a birthmark and then he goes to like get a different color and then she smacks the brush out of his hand and then he goes like grabs it goes back to his canvas paints a little bit more and then this like thing goes off and she goes into the other room to get dressed and then like he follows her and then she handcuffs him and takes him back to cell because she is a prison guard who is being fucking painted by him (laughs) (laughs) because he gets famous when he's in prison who's the guy who we talked about on Saturday Night Live box office battle who got in trouble for like wearing the dreadlocks Really big nose. Oh, Adrian Brody. Adrian Brody plays this art dealer who somehow finds him and decides that he's going to make this masterpiece. And so he's funding him and all this stuff. And it's just fucking nuts, dude. And when you see his paintings finally revealed, they're in color, but everything else is in black and white. But this story is all being narrated by Tilda Swinton, who's like just looks taller than I've ever seen her look and like has a very odd hairstyle. She's doing these stills as she's talking because she's clearly doing it in front of this audience. And then she cuts to this one thing where she's talking about a new model. And then she looks up and she goes, oh, fuck, that's me. And then switches it to the next one. Like, it's just no reason, dude. And, like, the whole thing is packed with nudity. I don't know why. There's another short that's got Jeffrey Wright. He's having this dinner and he's talking in this interview 
clearly in the 70s, about this dinner that he goes to, okay? He keeps talking about the food in such luxurious ways. And in the background, there's this kid who's, like, apparently this, like, wonder kind or whatever, because that happens in every fucking Wes Anderson movie, right? Like, some gifted kid. But this kid gets kidnapped. And, like, it's happening while, like, Jeffrey Wright is talking about all these things with food over and over again. (laughs) Like, he's obsessed with the food and all this way to talk about it. But then there's this whole kidnapping plot going. They do a shoot-up to get this kid back and there are bullets fucking everywhere like firing everywhere and you're like you would fucking murder everybody in that building (laughs) like it's just so ridiculous Frances McDermott has one where she goes and sits in on this uh, underground thing where all these protesters are starting to boil up and Timothy Chalamet is playing one of the protesters and then she winds up sleeping with him and while he's got this like thing going with this other girl who's a protester and then it turns out at the end like that they should be together and Frances McDermott is like encouraging it and then like he finally has this moment where he talks to a girl and he's like I'm a virgin I've never slept with another woman except for her like (laughs) who's like 60 now you know what I mean like it's fucking weird seeing the two of them together in bed and and I think the first story which is a little bit on the shorter side is Owen Wilson just basically Yeah, wow. Like riding a bicycle and then falling off the bicycle in various ways. But uh, it's just a fun movie, dude. Like if you like Wes Anderson, you'll enjoy it. But for real, like the way that everything is built in this movie to look in that weird 4-3 aspect ratio, I have truly never seen anything like it. Like it's unusual. I don't know how it would translate to a TV screen. I really don't. But if you have a really big TV and you're going to insist on watching this at home, go really, really close to it. <laughs> so that you can get the same effect. I don't know what else to say, man. Like, it was impressive. And it was impressive watching, like, once or twice during these scenes, I would look around and I'd see everybody's heads going up. And by the way, I got one other question for you. What do you think the average age of a Wes Anderson fan is? Because Wes Anderson is a Gen X director. I know Yeah, this. but I feel like 50 to 60. Yeah, when I went to that screening last night, I was the youngest person by, like, 25 years. Dude. <laughs> That checks out. (laughs) Yeah. I was just like, wow. And it occurred to me, I've only seen one Wes Anderson movie in the theater before. I went with my wife and I think we had just gotten together. And so I don't think it had ever occurred to me to look around at the audience because I was more concerned with like, does she like this movie? She did not. But I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) Moonrise Kingdom, if you're curious, by the way, like Amanda and I had not been together very long at this point. But I fucking love Wes Anderson, just to be clear. I think the only one, Desjardins Unlimited. I I think that was the one I have not seen was... Isle of Dogs. Isle of Dogs Uh, is fun. Yeah, you would like Isle of Dogs. I really didn't like the Fantastic Mr. Fox. Really? Yeah. I love the Fantastic Mr. Fox. I, I and so I just well this did, is I n- didn't I didn't like that one so that's part of the reason I haven't seen Isle of Dogs. Isle of Dogs is nothing like Fantastic Mr. Fox other than your usual Wes Andersonisms. Well, that and it's the stop motion animation. It's completely different though. Fantastic Mr. Fox looks like the stop motion that you and I grew up with, right? Right. Like uh, uh Ray Ray Harryhausen sort of stuff. Um. No, I would say more like uh, the Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer sort of. It's kind of like that style. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, There you go. It's like that. Like Fantastic Mr. Fox is in that style. This one looks like it could be computer animated. In fact, I know that parts of it were stop motion and parts of it were computer animated, but it all feels computer animated. Like it does not feel like the stop motion of the other one at all. Like if you didn't like the animation style of the other one, this is nothing like that. Like it's 
for real, I think you would like it. Like it's a, it, I love Fantastic Mr. Fox, but this is just it's stylistically very different. Yeah. Other than and like, it was, it it really wasn't the style that I, I just didn't like the story. That's a fantastic. Fox. Oh well, also yeah. a completely different story. Yeah. Obviously. Very Wes Anderson story, I will say. Yeah. Like a bunch of outsiders who just never fit in, and <laughs> so because <laughs> their dog yeah. irradiated on an island. <laughs> So Isle of Dogs is the only one I haven't seen. And I mean, I I like them for the most part. I mean, I even like the Darjeeling Limited. Okay. Um, so we both have one we don't like. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't, I can't I, say. Well, yeah, I guess Fantastic Mr. Fox. And I will say I saw the Darjeeling Unlimited right when it came out on DVD. That's how long ago it was. I've been meaning to give that a rewatch as an older, more mature person because I feel like I may not have been in the right space for it then. You know what I mean? There's certain movies you see and then yeah. you kind of think back to it and you're like, maybe I wasn't mature enough for that movie yet. And especially going back and listening to me podcasting at age 31, I can tell you I was not the maturity for anything at that point. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got Carl here. Hey. So what do you want to talk about today, Carl? I guess all entertainment news is kind of being overshadowed right now by awful, awful things happening in the world <laughs> or just like extremely dramatic things like the Kyle Rittenhouse trial, Astro World. Okay, and all the furor over Rust has kind of died down a bit on in certain circles, I'll say. Yeah, just to let people know where we're at, because it'll take a few hours to get this up, has not gotten a verdict yet on that case. Uh, no, there won't be a verdict today. Today is closing arguments. Right, okay. So we'll, and who knows how long it'll take the jury to deliberate. But I do know that the city that that's taking place in currently has like 500 National Guard people on standby, anticipating uh, a lot of uproar, however the trial shakes out. Yeah, I was just doing that math no matter, in my head. No matter who wins, we all are going to lose this. We're all going to lose. And we're going to, if he is acquitted, we're going to lose because I believe there will be a miscarriage of justice. Yep. Um, and we're going to then deal with more protests and maybe more people are going to get hurt. Um, and if he gets convicted, we're going to see a bunch of right-wing nut jobs fucking Doing the exact same thing, throwing big tantrums, and maybe, and they're the ones that I think are more likely to turn cause into harm. violence. Yeah, so, when, you, when you get the Proud Boys involved. Yeah, this is a news story that kind of went under the radar, but uh, apparently somebody secretly recorded a meeting of the NRA top brass immediately after Columbine as they teleconferenced an emergency meeting to decide how to react. And uh, my biggest two takeaways from listening to the recordings were that at one point, somebody broached the idea of them setting up a fund for the victims. And they decided to go against to not do that because they thought it would be too crass. Right. As though the decision they went with, which was to deny any responsibility whatsoever, isn't crass. <laughs> the yeah. other thing that my other biggest takeaway was the fact that they were extremely concerned, regardless of what they, how they responded, the people that were going to come out to support them were going to be the most radical, insane members of their own group. And they were referring to like their, the extreme members as hillbillies and wackos and nut jobs. And, you know, how can these, <laughs> I wish this story had gotten more traction because it's really a 
democracy in action there, isn't it? Just, like the people that are leading the group just like could not give a shit less about the people that they they're don't leading. just have a lack of respect for their own members. They have disdain, disdain and yeah. disrespect, like the opposite of respect for their own members. The people that are their most devout supporters, they think are crazy, you know, and it's like if if they think they're crazy, then, you know, fuck, man, I think they might be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> if no sides are supporting yeah. them, really. I, just, I wish that this story got more traction and that people were talking about it more. But I guess this is another thing that's being overshadowed by this, the drama of the world. Uh, it's more important that we talk about Ted Cruz calling Big Bird a communist for telling children on Twitter that he got vaxxed. Did that happen this week? Oh, yeah. It happened last week <laughs> and uh, to the point where SNL actually included – that was their cold open this weekend, uh, which – speaking of which, it was a good episode uh, hosted by Jonathan Majors and uh, Taylor Swift was the musical guest. And uh, I skipped through her song because she only played one. Usually SNL musical guest plays two songs. She only played one, but it was 10 minutes long. Oof. And I don't think I've ever seen that before. It's a brand new version of one of her songs that she just got the rights back to after she re-recorded it herself. And she <laughs> expanded this song to 10 minutes long. And uh, so I skipped through that. But <laughs> she did show up in a digital sketch that was really good that was featured Pete Davidson and these three guys that are new. I don't think they're like even featured cast members. But they're writers that made their own stuff on YouTube before they joined SNL. And so they always do like one digital short per episode. They're the same way that they're basically taking the Lonely Islands land. Yes. Where which was Ben Andy Samberg before that. Andy Samberg was a member of the cast, but the other two, Jorma and Akiva, were not technically cast members, but they were writers and they were in the Lonely Island videos. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing. And it's like a so they're doing he's like, let's do a rap song together with Pete Davidson and Pete Davidson. Like, it'll bring us all together. Or we'll be really good friends. And then the song is about how he's super rich and all of his friends are really popular, except these three sad virgins. <laughs> <laughs> and they keep like talking to each other like, this is unacceptable. Why are we, why is he doing this to us? And then the, he'd be like, hey, do you want to stop? And they're like, no, no, it's great. It's great. <laughs> and then Taylor Swift comes in and she's singing about how they're all, how sad and pathetic they all are. And they're like, wait, can we make this a sketch about a song about Dune? And Pete Davidson's like, yeah, it's a Dune rap now. And then he's like, sand and spice and these guys suck. <laughs> he like <laughs> just keeps throwing in how terrible these three guys are. And the thing that's really funny is they wrote that song <laughs> like they just tore themselves to shreds so did taylor swift host this week no jonathan majors did oh jonathan majors hosted this week okay but why male models okay what's the context for that that's a line from what's that ben stiller where he's the model uh, uh oh oh zoolander yeah and it was an improvised line that they left in the movie because what's his uh uh David Duchovny, David Duchovny the model. rants for like a minute and a half and then uh, Ben Stiller forgot his line. And so he just says, but why male models? And then <laughs> without even breaking character, David Duchovny's like, I just told you that like a minute ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. And so I had literally started this with Jonathan Majors hosted. <laughs> <laughs> and he was really good. Sorry. He kind of, he was a little bit 
like scattered at times where like he would stumble over a line here and there. I think he's got a lot of energy because I was reading about him on Loki and like the whole in that final episode, he wasn't scripted to jump up on the table while he was delivering his monologue and he just kind of did it and they just went with it and it wound up looking really good. But you could kind of tell he's a little manic. Yeah. Like Jonathan Majors. And that's who he is like not when he's not doing something serious like Lovecraft Country. He was quite manic, I thought. And I was interested. I was like, he reminded me of just those little kids that just have too much energy. So they have to be constantly like moving just to like burn that excess energy off. Well, Disney Plus had some offerings that I just wanted to talk about. Some of it, there's really nothing there. Not a ton compared to last year. They dropped, what, 10 Star Wars shows and like just a ton of Marvel shows and all all of that, you know. They kind of threw out a timeline that went like, into the next, th- like, through 2023. Yeah, and it wasn't so, even like, everything. The fact that that was in 2020, they went three years out. A year later, what are they going to do? Go five years out? I like, think they've still the- got two more years to get through before they can announce new stuff. So all they could do is give us a little bit more of stuff they'd already announced. Yeah, and but we did get some new stuff for sure. Just really no information on it. All right, know? here's the big ones for me. Okay. Uh, She-Hulk. I think that might be the live action show that I'm the most excited to see. And here's why. I love Tatiana Maslany. I like Jamila Jamil. I think this is where we're going to see Daredevil come back because it's a courtroom-based show since She-Hulk is a lawyer. It makes sense. Um, I'm looking forward to seeing Abomination and especially considering that he's not just a mindless monster. Like, he may have kind of been towards the end of the Incredible Hulk. He was kind of just a rage beast. But he had also just turned into right. It, right. And so I'm curious to revisit that character, what, like over a decade later? Exciting. Well, yeah, and we saw him in Shang-Chi for yes. very little, but they gave the impression like there's somebody up there and he's not necessarily a villain. I feel like they're really setting up Dark Avengers and I think the abomination is going to be the Hulk analog in the Dark Avengers. We've got Kurt Russell's kid as the the, the bad cap. We've got uh, That's Kurt Russell's kid? Wyatt Russell. I yeah. Oh wow, I never put that together. Yeah. So we've got him. We've got I mean, fuck, Agatha might be the Scarlet Witch, which well, that was the second and that's yeah. and let's like we don't need to get into the whole like who's going to be the Dark Avengers cuz that's way down the line. Speaking of Agatha, she got a show announced that's just a Agatha show. That's yeah. super exciting. That is very Catherine exciting cuz I love Catherine. Oh Han. god, I love her so much. So goddamn much. And I'm so excited that she's going to get to be the the main character of her own series. That's fucking great. That's recognizing what you have and building around it, you know. Marvel's so good at that. And and that was one of the new things. Another one of the things that was brand new that they had not announced previously that I got weirdly excited about was X-Men 97. Yeah, that one caught me completely by surprise because when they first showed it, I was like, you've had the 1997 cartoons on there forever. Like, what's the big deal? And then realizing like, oh, no, they're doing a continuation on it. They're literally picking up right where the show left off. Yeah. And I remember it being one of those shows that due to like the production schedules and stuff, I didn't know this at the time, of course, but they started showing reruns after they showed the first three episodes. That happens. Because of yeah. production delays. That used and, to happen and like so with Saturday morning cartoons. It was incredibly difficult back in the day 
to actually watch that show and follow the the plot because it kept restarting and it would like restart and do a couple more episodes and then they do a rerun and then they do a rerun and then they would do a new episode and then they do like four weeks of reruns and it just was like impossible to follow it. Yeah, I had a bitch of a time following Spider-Man, which was same company, same mold, you know, same continuity that they were doing in X-Men. And yeah, it was just like there was always this overarching kingpin plot. And that, which eventually led to a Beyonder plot. And I could not tell you in what order those episodes go because it's just like, I don't know, man. Like there's always reruns everywhere. It was always interrupted. And then even when you tried to watch it in syndication, for some reason, they'd put them out of order. And it's just like, I don't know what's happening. Plus, Peter Parker wears the same thing every single time. So like you can't even use visual cues to like separate it from episodes in your mind in a way. So you could reuse old episodes, right? Like stock footage and stuff. Just to be clear, I'm not into the old X-Men cartoon, but I get it and I understand why it's so important, you know, and I did watch it a little bit when I was younger. I thought that was an inspired move because Disney's already shown that it can be very profitable because they did it with Clone Wars, right? Like they brought it back for a final season. They've also And Batman's getting that treatment too, the animated series. They've also managed to score, I would say, 90% of the original voice cast just about the only people that they couldn't get back are people that are no longer with us, like the voice yeah. of Magneto. But like they got Wolverine back. They got Jean Grey back. They got fucking Jubilee back. They got well, Gambit back. That's interesting. They got Rogue I, I back. I actually have a note about the Jubilee thing because Allison Court, who did the, the role, is returning but not as that character. Oh, really? And she said that the role needs to go to an Asian American. Oh, right. Now, that we don't sense. know who they casted for So role, Allison but... Breathe in, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's a BoJack horse. We, we can put we can put in a uh, Scarlett Johansson in that role. <laughs> well, like no, literally in BoJack Horseman, Allison Brie plays a, a Cantonese American. I forget, but she's not white, <laughs> right? And like, it's an interesting character because she's like fully Asian, but she was born in America, and all of her family members are not... They didn't move here from there. They all have Jersey accents, because they all grew up in Jersey. And so they're all Asian, but they don't speak with an Asian inflection at all, because they're not from Asia. Yeah. Bob Raphael Wakesburg, the co-creator of BoJack Horseman, has has come out and been like, that was a huge mistake. (laughs) (laughs) Even though I do think Alison Brie crushed the role and did and approached it with like respect and dignity and all that as much as you can a show about an anthropomorphic horse that is et cetera, et cetera, the plot right insert plot of bojack horseman here i mean it's a dark show and it's kind of fucked up sometimes but that particular aspect of it i think they tried as much as they could to be respectful of what they were doing with that and it was just kind of ignorance in the moment that caused them to cast her <laughs> Oh, well, it's fine. <laughs> yeah, some of, some of the decisions are perplexing with that stuff. It's like when Brandon was bringing up uh, Fisher Stevens for Short Circuit, they completely rewrote his role to be Indian, and they were just, like, working with him with the accent and all this, and at no point were they like, let's hire an Indian actor. They were like, let's just keep this complete unknown and, like, change his ethnicity and put him in brown face. Like, it's nuts the hoops they'll jump through to put a white he was person a, in. He was a good guy in Short Circuit, right? Yeah. Yeah, because you know he plays a villain of the sa- version of the same character in Hackers. Interesting. 
He's in succession. <laughs> but he's not an Indian. He's in succession. And whether you think he's... Well, nobody's going to say he's a hero. He's a villain of sorts just in that Isn't light. everyone in succession a That's villain? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are no good guys when it comes... Well... Because they're all they're fucking rich. With the rich exception... bad guys. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, with the exception of the Logan character, there's like interesting shades to all of them. I think like anytime they get big picture, you realize these are really awful human beings. But when you get close in on them sometimes you get wrapped up in like the drama and the, the things that drive them and it's interesting because they're looking at them as human beings but also they never ever lose sight of the fact that like these are terrible human beings because of the things that they do and they can get away with you know yeah uh, i was actually just reading a thing that the ringer put out and it was talking about the set design of succession and i'm not going to go balls in on this but it was interesting because they would like pay for these big penthouse apartments to to rent for the show and then they would keep it with that like if they had art on the wall they would take it off and put the blandest art all of their clothes are just like they wear like a plain black hat or whatever because like these are people that just like move between houses and they don't even keep one residence they've got like five six residences going and they don't have any personal touch because their life is just like blase but it's also because they don't want to glamorize being rich either they take helicopter rides out to ridiculous places you see them taking that ride and you realize they're not going very far and you're just like fuck these people like when <laughs> yeah. you see like little parts like that like they really try and take the glamour out of the show yeah that's good yeah i mean that's what happens when you get adam mckay like, i mean i and i definitely know? have that's a really that particular detail that you specified with the helicopter ride is like such a good way to portray a person being out of touch yeah of like I'm going to choose to fly in this helicopter just because I want to avoid traffic. I want to shave like – and you're not even cutting that yeah. much time off of your your commute because it takes as much time to take off and land as it does to sit behind 10 red lights. Yep. So it's not even speeding it up much. That particular episode uh, – Take an I Uber was... Black. Come on. You'll be <laughs> the, fine. The episode I was thinking about you was Succession too. It's a little insane because – so this guy and his father are supposed to like – pretend like they don't hate each other's guts to get the sky 10 vest and they don't want to ride in the same helicopter together so they take separate helicopters oh dude. yeah that's like, a whole gets extra even worse dynamic. that's a whole extra level to it like <laughs> fuck yeah and i can't even imagine it's just like the levels that they go to in that show um i did want to mention a couple other things i don't know how much we'll talk about sure. any of this hawkeye they had a pretty good like chunk in that video that they put up on Disney Plus where they showed Hawkeye and man, I am fucking excited for this show. Like it looks good. I was excited before, but now I'm like, when is it dropping? I got a soft spot for Jeremy Renner because when I was on the road and I was in Burbank one day doing my DoorDash thing and it was about three o'clock in the afternoon and a school was getting out. And I stopped at the, the crosswalk so that people could cross. And amongst the group of parents and kids, I saw Jeremy Renner walking his little child, his little daughter, uh, from the school to wherever their car or whatever. And he just looked like a really good dad. And I was just like, oh, look at the good dad being a good dad. And so I got kind of a soft spot just because of this. I didn't even like, I just saw him from a distance. It's yeah. not like, I can't even imagine having like running, <laughs> jump out of my car. You're Jeremy Renner. Yeah. <laughs> but I like him. I think, he's, you know, he's, he's not perfect by any means. He did that weird thing with that text to celebrity app. 
that like completely bombed. And that's not even like an offensive thing. That's just kind of embarrassing for him. No, the offensive Makes thing me was like him when he went to the pitch meeting, it was five blocks away and he took a helicopter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Bastard. Uh, but yeah. And also, like I've said before, I'm super excited about all of the Chip Zdarsky influence on this new Hawkeye series. Um, I the- guess they showed Pizza Dog. Pizza I'm Dog! Still not oh sure what Pizza Dog is, but everybody who's read the book like gushes about Pizza, pizza Dog. Pizza Dog's so. great. That's just all there is to it. Pizza Dog's great. He's just a regular dog. He's not like <laughs> he's not like anything. Does he, doesn't he like have any pizza? Superpowers. Where does the pizza come from? I, I think that they have they share a pizza. Okay, maybe more than one. I can't remember. Just like the whole aesthetic, the art of that Hawkeye comic is fantastic. It's like it's minimalist and kind of sparse, but it's still got like a warmth to it. And the color scheme is fantastic throughout the whole thing. He, they just got the colorist, whoever did the colors, man, got it down flawlessly. And the writing is good. There's a lot of changes they got to make though, because he is divorced in the comics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and honestly, even if they decided to go that route with this, I feel like they've either underutilized or they kind of wasted the Hawkeye wife character on Linda Cardellini because she's a fantastic actor. And it makes me sad that she's now an Avengers wife. That's that's maybe, all she gets to be. Maybe in she'll the, have more MCU. to do in this show, though. You're right. It, it is a waste because she's super talented. But like maybe she'll have more in this. I mean, we're Here's talking hoping. like what? Eight, I think we've got eight episodes of this, don't we? Probably. Probably eight. Maybe six, but probably eight. And it's something about him trying to get back to his family. So maybe they'll have some stuff with her. I thought I, I saw some something in the first trailer that came out where he was kind of like, I've got to take care of this. I'm sending my family off into like protective. So no, she's just going away. I think she'll be at the beginning of the series and there will probably be scenes throughout where they like talk on the phone or it like cuts to her so you can see what's going on with her. Or when she's talking with their kids, she's just like, if you keep doing that, your father's going to come home and you do remember how many people he murdered in Japan, He killed all the Yakuza. (laughs) Yeah, he'll bring... Roni... Yeah. (laughs) Hawkeye, when Hawkeye gets angry, shaves the sides of his head and starts carrying a big sword around. How chilling is that if you're like, you get bad grades and your dad looks at it, doesn't say anything, goes in the bathroom and just immediately starts shaving (laughs) half his head. (laughs) But bottom line, looking forward to Hawkeye. Definitely. Yeah. So they're doing a spinoff of Hawkeye called Echo based off of the character Echo. And I know nothing about the character of Echo. I knew nothing about the character of Echo until last night. (laughs) I am shocked that she's got. A show that is, I'm assuming Echo is a girl, female yes. character. It yeah. just sounds like a female character's um, name. Deaf character who's basically Taskmaster. Okay. Like can see oh, people's right. that moves makes and sense. copy Echo, echoing. Yeah. Okay, okay. And she was like started out, I guess she was introduced fighting Daredevil. That's another <laughs> show that I've heard Charlie Cox is supposed to be on. And that makes Echo. sense. Echo. Yeah, it makes sense. People are lumping because it in. Echo Even though we know literally from... nothing about Echo. <laughs> well, just the fact that Echo was introduced in a Daredevil comic, I think. Yes. Lends people is it gives a little bit of weight to the idea that Daredevil might show up in it, and she has a similar weakness that Daredevil does in that Daredevil gets flooded with sound, he's kind of fucked, right? Yeah. She gets in the dark, she's fucked because it's completely off of sight. Everything's oh, right. off of sight. She's deaf. So right. if like somebody's like acting from the shadows, she's gonna have no idea, right? right? So. Right. 
if they're behind her. Mm-hmm. So she doesn't have like the echolocation thing that Daredevil has. Oh no, he's blind. <laughs> so I, <laughs> he's the, she's the opposite. Well, I opposite. will say deaf is the opposite of blind. That makes no sense. So yeah, <laughs> let's pit them against each other. <laughs> How about we divided the country? Like, okay, Daredevil is a blind superhero. How do we create his opposite? A deaf villain. (laughs) That makes no sense. She does a heel turn pretty fast. Like, kind of a Punisher move where, like, she realizes who she's going after and then, like, is actually a hero. You know what I mean? I will say all the Daredevil speculation, it is ratcheted up a notch when I read about that character and it seems like it's formed from Kingpin. Yeah. And so I'm just like... And then... I'm wondering like, if they're going to introduce Kingpin into this. There are a lot of insane Charlie Cox rumors, like uh, Spider-Man, he's supposed to show up in, Echo, he's supposed to show up in, She-Hulk, he's supposed to show up in. And of those, I, I don't want him to show up in Spider-Man because it feels like that movie is already stuffed way too full. I'm fine with it if he's just a lawyer and that's all we see, yeah. right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but I want to see him in She-Hulk. Because it's a courtroom setting at times. And I want to see him. I, I, I actually don't want to see Daredevil and She-Hulk at all. I only want to see uh, Matt Murdock lawyer. That's all. I want to see Matt Murdock with his red sunglasses and his cane arguing a case. That's what I want to see. I don't want to see Daredevil punching people. I mean, I'd be okay with it. But what I want to see is Matt Murdock. Yeah. Something else that's coming out, Ms. Marvel, they showed some little clips of that. What I saw off of it, it just is it that seems one, that's much the like TV the comic. show, right? Ms. Yes. Marvel. And then And she she will be joining the cast in of the Marvels. Marvels. I think it's just Marvels, isn't it? Okay. Maybe it is just well. Maybe it is the Marvel. I don't know. Whatever. Because it is. I was sure it was the Eternals, and I've been realizing since I've been posting podcasts, like, nope, it's Eternals. It's just Marvel's Eternals. Yeah. I don't know if they mentioned it on the Disney Plus thing because it's not coming out on Disney Plus, but we are finally in a couple of days getting the next animated Hulu Marvel show, Hit Monkey. I've seen a trailer, and now that I know more about it, it looks pretty fucking good, dude. If you want to read, pretty good. If you want to read the entire run of comics, Hit Monkey's in. It's about six comics, (laughs) unless they added more recently. The premise of this one is like an a hitman, a can human I tell you, hitman. Can I tell you what the comic is? Because it's a very simplistic story that I believe they're just complicating a little bit for the show. It's basically this hitman goes on the run. He's in Africa. He's by some apes. The Yakuza goes to take him down and they kill all the apes but one. And then that guy's soul gets like attached to the monkey. And so he just starts wearing a suit and like using pistols and he just hunts down every single member of the Yakuza and takes so him out. So does the hitman and then he die? shows up later. Yes. And the hitman's like a ghost that like follows the monkey. And talks to him. Yes. And the monkey's- Just to give you inner monologue basically. Right. They have that guy talking. And then like. There's a two episode arc of Spider-Man and Deadpool. Like they shared a comic together mm-hmm. and uh hit monkey shows up to take out the mob for like two issues there, which is like perfect. With <laughs> I those bet three. you that is a super hit monkey, Spider-Man and, and uh Deadpool all in the same comic. That's it makes pretty sense. Fucking right? fun, dude. <laughs> yeah. This, uh, I like the animation style of what hit monkey looks like. It's very similar to like, incre- uh, uh, invincible and uh it just looks it's just clean and smooth and not computer generated like what if was and not stop motion like 
Modoc. You know what's interesting? The initial idea with this was they were going to have all of these shows for Hulu that was like Modoc and Hitmonkey and Howard the Duck and, and then Dazzler. bring them all together. And then they were going to form together for The Offenders. Yep. And then when Disney bought Fox, they were just like, we don't have time for this shit anymore. Like, and they cut everything but Hitmonkey and uh, Modoc. Modoc, yeah. So it's kind of interesting. Like, the shows just look wildly different from each other. Yeah. But you have to imagine the animation styles would have been pretty similar if they're going to. You know what would have been together. crazy is if the Offender series had been a combination of all the art styles from, like, if Modoc <laughs> was a stop motion in, and then Hitmonkey was an animated character, and like they were a 2D. all. Like, yeah, all just sharing the same space. That was <laughs> kind of like uh, the different animation styles of all the Spider-Men and Enter the Spider-Verse, how they kind yeah. of combined the the Warner Brothers, Looney Tunes and like the Spider-Ham with and... the, yeah. Like that was one of the things that made Enter the Spider-Verse so interesting visually was the combination of the different. But I mean, I've, I've actually seen details about that recently and how they made it look like a comic book. They did all sorts of crazy shit like eliminating motion smoothing and... Um, doing two frames for each thing instead of one frame. So if you pause it, it looks like a comic book page. And they did things where they would like intentionally offset layers because sometimes comics would be printed poorly and you'd have like these kind of offset yeah. things. And uh, they Dude, incorporated that into they the even fucking had movie. The ink dots that. You know, like when you had, say, a pink color in a comic book panel, if you looked at it closely, and this is before graphic novels, kids, but yeah. if you looked at it closely, you could see all those dots that made up that pink. And, like, they had those dots yeah. in portions Fucking of that cool, thing. Man. It was very cool. It was a very unique animation yeah. that they did. Some of them we don't have to talk about, like Guardians of the Galaxy. We've talked about this quite a bit, the holiday special. We don't know anything else. And that's a Christmas special coming out this year. Mm -hmm. I think so. And then there's also rumors. No, no, I think it's next year. I think it's next year because it it comes out out right before before part three. Part three. And then also, did they announce that this time where there is supposedly a Halloween special that's going to come out next year that is based on Werewolf by Night? Which is where Moon Knight showed up. Yeah, I haven't heard that, but I've been hearing people try to like take a lot of characters that are showing up and and talking about Werewolf by Night all the time. I don't know that comic at all, so I'm kind of lost on this. It goes yeah. back a long ways, but uh, I've heard it involves Black Knight, though the Eternal yeah. stuff we we forgot to talk about last week. Like, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. How did the most forgettable character, Dane <laughs> Whitman or whatever, his ancestors were Black Knights? He has like he if he picks up the sword and becomes the Black I think Knight, they were he'll be the, the third. Black Knight. Right? He'll be the third yeah. if he picks up the sword, and he will because there's a blood yeah. curse. And uh, drives people mad. And when they wear, when they're wielding the sword, they can be injured but not killed. So, like the Black Knight from Monty Python, <laughs> just but to scratch, <laughs> which is fantastic. And then we've got Blade in there too, because he's the one talking, which honestly, that's just like cast and crew letting us know that was Blade. Like that so, was Mahershala Ali. <laughs> apparently, in the comic, and this is a difference from Blade in the movie that came out in the 90s. In the movie, Blade is born a daywalker because a right. vampire impregnates a living woman somehow. I think it bites nonsense. a pregnant woman right oh, that's before right. she gives birth. She gets bitten before she, while she's pregnant, yeah. But apparently, and I didn't do any of my own research, but my coworker John told me this and he saw it online. 
So this could be wrong, but I don't know why he would make this up. Apparently in the comics, Blade gets his Daywalker powers after he gets bitten by Morpheus. Mobius, Morbius, not Morpheus. I think that's accurate, yeah. I do do think I've heard that somewhere. So my coworker is convinced that Blade is going to show up in Morbius. I gotta, or that Morbius is going to show up in Blade. I got to be honest, man. Like, they're trying to make it out like this is the end of the Spider-Man contract with Marvel. But I keep looking at that Morbius thing with the Michael Keaton character and the fact that, like, Marvel's playing nice with them. And they're, like, including all these little MCU tie-ins. And then you look at this tie-in with, like, Venom into Spider-Man. I wouldn't doubt it, man. I, I just, I wouldn't doubt it at this point. Well, I, I, w- I also wish... wouldn't doubt that maybe Marvel was, like, giving notes behind the scenes so that it wasn't a shit show. Oh, Kevin Feige is definitely, you know, you know, he provided notes for Amazing Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah. And every single thing that he suggested for that movie would have made it a better movie if they didn't listen to any of his suggestions. But if they didn't listen to like, they should have listened to all of his suggestions. He was, he That's the history of Kevin Feige outside of Disney. (laughs) Yeah. It it is, He always knows what's fucking. He was advising stuff with like X-Men and like they ignored him over and over again. Like when he got through stuff, it was like Wolverine's hair should look like it does in the comic with the points. And they're just like, okay. And then like. Like, he convinces the hairdresser to do it, and the director's kind of like, like, Brian Singer's just like, fine, whatever. And, like, he brings up the hair, and then, you know, people aren't upset when they're looking at the character because it looks like it does on the page. Like, he gives a shit about the finer yep. details that fans care about. And, He's listen, so that might well seem like that might seem like it's not a big deal now to our younger listeners. If you were to be our age and remember what it was like to watch superhero movies back then, it was almost like they were adamantly trying to piss off the fans so that they could get a big populace. And I'm not saying this in a nerd way. It was literally like every movie at some point would have something where they turn to the camera and say something disparaging about the comic book so that the audience can laugh. And so if you're a comic book fan, you're just like, man, fuck you. You know, and who even were these people? Because like, let's think about, let's go back to X-Men for a second. Kevin Feige gave notes. They ignored his notes. Joss Whedon gave fucking Storm a line about, you know what happens when a frog gets hit by lightning the same thing that happens to everything else which is like an incredibly stupid fucking line i mean it sounds exactly like something joss whedon would write yeah but it's a fucking terrible line and they took that advice <laughs> so clearly <laughs> back in the fucking two early 2000s it was just like a let's take advice from the wrong fucking people era of filmmaking <laughs> superhero movies god damn just get out of here joss whedon get out of here get out of here you're done he's pretty much you're out fucking of here done we're done with you we've had you've had your time you like made all this shit that people love you also but, like destroyed you know, a lot of actresses good job yeah he was like in all of in only negative ways he was the uh, he was the alfred hitchcock of his time yeah in only negative ways i know what you're saying <laughs> he did not bring anything in the sense that he that... Ab- be like seemed to get some perverse joy out of torturing his female yeah uh, i think that's accurate it's fucked up although i will say (laughs) the thing with hitchcock is almost the difference between somebody who snaps and murders 22 people with an assault rifle and a serial killer because like alfred 
Hitchcock is more like the serial killer <laughs> he, yeah, in that yeah. like he had a very, very specific, specific taste crush. Yep. And then like when that blonde, didn't pan out, he started girls. casting people to look like that person and putting them and through the shit that they them. got him. But then also punishing them for not being that person. <laughs> like it's like Madness. Hitchcock is probably a worse human being Fuck if you, I'm Hitchcock. being honest. <laughs> yeah, I don't care. You're dead. Die yeah. again. <laughs> yeah, why don't you go walk into that cartoon drawing and fucking smash your face in it? I don't know. I'm tired. <laughs> uh, we also got an Ironheart show coming out. No information whatsoever on it, but this is Riri Williams who copies the Iron Man tech or figures it out on her own. This is what I would like to see in the Ironheart. I would <clears throat> like to see the hologram Tony Stark that helps her. And I want I think it only if it's existing clips. Of I Tony want Stark. it to just be. I want him to do the voice, but I don't think he needs to physically be there. They'll use the guy from What If. That's actually <laughs> very possible. Yeah, that's very possible. But I do think that Iron Man needs to be a part of that story, even though he wasn't physically in the comic version of the story. If I remember, I have correctly. a feeling because she was dead. He I have a feeling the they're going to introduce her in the um, Wakanda Forever. No, um, but the one that looks like Iron the, War, Iron, Armor Wars, Armor Wars. That's what I'm trying. I kept wanting to say Iron that Wars, actually, and I knew that was does make a right. lot of sense because the government superpowers are all trying to make their own suit, and it's like a war of who can make the best suit. And then I like the idea of like some teenage girl cobbling a suit together, being on the level as like entire countries. That's pretty cool, actually. So there's a kid involved in. She's a teenager. It's sounding like Iron Man three. Maybe they should get Riri, Shane Black. Her to name is Riri this. Williams. Yeah, and uh, I do have to say that Riri is a cute name, but it's unfortunately associated. As a derogatory term for something that somebody that's mentally disabled. Really? Yeah. I haven't heard this term. Bad choice, Marvel. Yeah, and I mean, just for naming conventions. And that goes. I mean, it's not their fault that the that pairing of syllables has been reappropriated by a bunch of douchebags. So this has been very recently. Then I mean, of, with like, in the last. Well, I mean, couple this of character years, is only like what seven, eight years old. Well, like people on the internet, if <clears> somebody <throat> is acting like throwing a tantrum or being, you know, oh, acting I get up, it now. Okay. they interpret that as the sound re re. And so if you're doing that, they'll call you a reread, oh, right? It's pretty fucked up. And and I don't think that that has anything to do with the show no. or the character. It's just an unfortunate coincidence. It is a fun character. I've read her a little bit. Yeah, I like her. Yeah. Although she is very similar to the movie version of Shuri from Black Panther. Yeah, but I I bet you – They are distinct <clears throat> from one another I bet you Very looking much, at Ms. Marvel, they're going to find somebody closer to that age. So it's like we can have kids, but then we'll have this like maybe story about, um, I don't know, whatever else that will appeal to adults. You know what I mean? Like they're going to kind of hit it from both ends because I'm noticing some of these shows feel like they're a little bit more for adults. And some of these shows are like, yeah, they definitely want the kids for this one. Right. Like um, I am Groot. That's I definitely for yeah, kids. That's and, definitely and it's for short. Kids. So I'm, uh, I didn't know much about Miss Marvel, Kamala Khan. I've read the first um, three or four trades and read her sparingly. What like I, in other I, issues. they, uh, the Marvel Avengers game that Square Enix put out that is really, just a terrible fucking game. It is so bad. You're only bad. saying that because literally everybody has said that. <laughs> no, I played it. I played through the whole I story. No, I played every, through the whole like, main story. Literally everybody no, I know has played that and said it's awful. The gameplay is bad. But the story, which the main storyline revolves around 
Ms. Marvel. It's Ms. Marvel's origin, basically. Because she's it kind of the outsider. Very, very good. Yeah. Like her story is awesome. And also, I got a taste of what it's going to be like because she has basically rubbery arms. She has, well, she has fantastic. And she, kind of up a bit. she has Mr. Fantastic powers, basically. Yeah. But like way less dependable than less, Mr. Fantastic. Less of a plastic man, less of a Mr. Fantastic. In the game, as you're doing her moves and stuff, occasionally she will comment like, I hope I don't look too goofy, you know? And the other characters will be like, as long as you're fucking confident and this and that, you'll never look goofy because you'll look goofy if you're insecure about yourself. But if you're confident in yourself, you'll just look cool. And she embraces that over the course of the game. And it fucking works yeah. as the audience to that and she's like a 13 year old as well so it's like they definitely it, it's kind of i think they saw what worked with miles morales in that way where it's like people like the young spider-man but let's go even younger like let's go when you understand things less and you have even less freedom you know i don't think that in the tv show she'll be that i think she'll probably be at least 16 or 17 you're right, but I wouldn't be surprised if she's playing a 13-year-old. You know what I mean? No, like I, the old I Hollywood think, trick. Yeah, but I still think... She looks pretty young. This they is the thing. Clip. If a character is basically under 16, they can't really give them a romantic interest. Even if it's a pure, even if it's expressed in purely platonic sense, like a 13 year old is too young to be getting involved in romance. Here's the thing with this character. And I got to imagine they're going to be going somewhat off of the comics. So much of it is about her Muslim background. Like so much of it is just like tied in with like how she feels like an outsider in New York, how she like feels like an outsider with these superpowers, even though she's not this grown up person who's got them. And so she always feels like a phony lying to her parents, doing things that are against her religion sometimes to try and do the greater good. Like so much of it is based in there. I feel like if you're doing a love interest, you're just wasting your time. Like there's so much good story to mine. I would. Like, I don't I, want to waste. I time would agree that. that it is a waste of time. But there's is there never there's like never not like one character, even if they're only in one episode, just to kind of give you a like. Uh, I mean, you're probably right. <laughs> to be even clear. in like Falcon and Winter Soldier, there are. I was characters just thinking that, and, and then I realized like Bucky it really likes a. Uh, uh, Falcon sister. Falcon sister. Yeah, they flirt, and that's Captain and, America's sister. We got to show respect. <laughs> yes, fair enough. And there, uh, that is like a very brief thing that's not explored at all. No, but it's still in there. But it's there know? because like they want to have some sparks for the audience. And I mean, relationships happen. You know, people like each other. Sometimes they don't act on it, but they like each other. You know, and Marvel really like they kind of did that. Spend with too much shoe leather. A bit. Yeah, yeah. Where where they like she I would call her a romantic interest for Captain America, but they didn't explore it. Yeah. They just was... kind of barely touched on it here and there in different places. And then when but they the expanded way they on her, touched on it was just so fucked cringy. up, though. Yeah, cringy. Like, because she's in Winter Soldier. People forget this, but like, she's in Winter Soldier, and Black Widow's trying to set Steve up with her. Yeah. But then when you find out, it's then she not speaks just, at her. It's then she not, speaks at her. Yeah, aunt's it's, funeral, and you're it's like, whoa! Not <laughs> just that it was her niece. It's that like they like kiss by the casket. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like yeah. It 
it was a lot. <laughs> There's, I saw this uh, comedy video on YouTube the other day that was like what it would have been like for Captain America. To I think I've grow, seen this. To, the, to the live in the humor. past. And to be honest, I didn't think the video was all that funny. It kind of went on for too long. Yeah. And they kept telling the same joke over and over where she'd be like, oh, look, this is happening. And, and he'd then be he'd like, have to pretend like, like you nope, didn't know. I don't know what you're talking about. But there was a like the funniest moment is when she's like, when my niece born. was just born. And he's just like. <laughs> Uh, I kissed her and she's a baby now. And like, yeah, it's just like ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, that was the only reason why I was glad I hung on. You know, to what's that funny video. though, is I'd actually like, okay. So on that line, we already know that the way that time travel works in the MCU, if Captain America were to do what he did and go into the past and spend his life with, with Carter, it wouldn't be the same timeline. Because it was like a, di- it would be a divergent timeline, right? I was going to write a Captain American show. It would literally be him like changing everything that he knew about, or at least trying to, because, because how could he like stand by and not want to try to prevent some of these things? And so I, the universe that he <clears throat> lived still in with maintain, Agent Carter would be completely different. I still maintain, I think this is something that the majority of fans overlook over and over again when they talk about this. I don't think he's just standing out of the way in time. I just think he's not announcing himself. Like that dude's got shield training. And like, I think he's just like helping without it being known that Captain America's doing it. You know what I mean? That's possible. I, I can't see him not doing that. And we may never get an answer. It just depends on whether Chris Evans ever wants to do it. The thing is, though, is that like we've introduced certain elements into the MCU at this point that I feel like if Captain America was existing at the same time if he was like growing old with with carter what's her fucking peggy Peggy. if he was growing old with peggy and frozen in the ice at the same time there would be like some sorcerer supreme or some wakanda technology that would be like why are there two identical life signals of captain america on two different parts of the planet right now it would be very difficult for captain traveling into the past to keep his presence hidden yeah. Even with his shield army training and him being a super soldier, like he can't make himself look different on a camera. He can't make t- no, a no. photograph. All he's got to he do, make all himself... he's got to do, is put on a black baseball cap or sung- or or glasses. <laughs> do the Clark Kent thing. But I mean, he literally, whenever he's trying to blend into the crowd, he <laughs> just puts on a black cap. <laughs> like that's what he does. So does so does uh, Scarlett Johansson. Terrible. So does Hawkeye. <laughs> like it's all you need, man. Black no, baseball yes. cap. Nobody recognizes you anymore. Uh, is there any other Disney Plus stuff that got announced? Oh, we missed a big one. Moon Knight. Moon Knight. I, that's probably the one I know the least about. Moon Knight is going to be awesome, I'm going to predict. Because first off, Oscar Isaac is a good actor. He is very good. But second off, it's a character who is basically Marvel's Batman, but he's insane, probably. He may have God powers or he just might be insane. And they definitely showed an asylum in the clips that they showed. So they're definitely going with the newer version of him where he's got multiple personalities. I think it's going to be really, really interesting. I'm really looking forward to that show. Oh, and then that one, they haven't announced his role in it yet, but that one's going to have Ethan Hawke in it as well. Yes. And I'm a big fan of Ethan Hawke, man. That guy kicks ass. Hey, Ethan Hawke is good in everything he's in. You know what my favorite thing about Ethan Hawke is? is is that he likes to pick really 
cerebral science fiction movies to be in, like Predestination, Gattaca. It's like, we don't really need action because we're going to just talk about crazy ass concepts. Like I'm my own dad and my own mom. And my own murderer. Worst enemy and murderer. <laughs> and Gattaca has zero action. It's purely about a world where we've like basically completely mastered the human genome at this point and babies are never born naturally anymore. And what would it be like to be one of the rare natural births in a world where everybody is like where when you meet somebody, instead of getting to know their personality, you steal a piece of their hair or they give it to you and you take it to a, a fucking kiosk like you're getting your ears pierced uh, or like paying to park your car. And then you determine if you're a match based on your fucking genetic profile. Like, oh, I don't want to marry this person. They have will have our kids will have a heart condition or like or like intentionally triggering the gene so that your kid can have six fingers on both hands so that they can become a virtuoso piano player. Like <laughs> fascinating stuff. Yeah. Like watching him scrubbing his body clean so that he doesn't lose any hair or skin while he's at work because a single hair could because he's disguising himself as a, another person so he can become an astronaut. Like that is a fucking Gattaca, man. That is a good fucking movie. And keep in mind, too, Gattaca is a cool word for the title because G-A-T-C are the letters that we use to represent the genome. So the title is made up only of those words. And the other thing that's fantastic about Gattaca is that in the show The League, whenever Rafi thinks he's being oppressed he yells Gattaca instead of Attica he always is right, trying Attica to say is in Attica dog day afternoon <laughs> he goes Gattaca Gattaca and that is so goddamn funny and I know that Jason Manzoukas improvised that in the moment because that was how they made that show Jason Manzoukas is one of the greats I swear he's going down in history as one of the great I great so. comedic Eventually actors of our generation he's gonna find an iconic role and then it's everybody has. will know I mean, Rafi is a no, Ra, Rafi. You know what I mean. You know what it is. Like Jason Manzukis is an iconic character as himself. Yeah, is but what it comes down to. He'll find me. the right role that hits the mainstream, and when that happens, he'll be so huge. Not dude. the TikTok man. TikTok, Mister Wick. <laughs> I haven't seen John Wick Me yet. Neither. So. <laughs> I didn't even know he was in it. Till he just He's in that. the third one. And he is called the TikTok man. Prey. That is yes! like a Predator movie set in the 1700s. That's all I really know about it. It's the first time a Predator ha- arrives on Earth and they go up against like a Native American woman that's like a hunter. And they're hunting her. And I think it's going to be fucking cool. Do I'm think- excited. Do you think she's going to do like a handshake with some? <laughs> I have read Predator comics that take place in the past. I read one that took yeah. place in the African safari and he goes up against an African uh, safari hunt, not safari, an African like uh, savannah hunter guy. And it's fucking one of the best Predator stories I've ever read. It's way more interesting than like. The Predator using his shoulder-mounted laser and them shooting guns at a flickering thing in the trees or whatever. You know what's funny about that moment? Okay, so John McTiernan, who directed that, he kept getting studio interference over and over again. And they kept telling him, you need more guns, you need more guns, you need more guns, over and over again. (laughs) So finally he went as a fuck you to the studio so that they'd see it in the daily. He has them all like shoot at the brush and they're like, and they're just firing into the brush. And that was them being sarcastic to the studio. Like, you want guns? Here you go. They're just firing at nothing and they're all (laughs) firing. And like, they were like, 
great love it oh. and he was just like what the fuck, fuck dude <laughs> but somehow it's still in the movie <laughs> so we're looking forward to prey that's gonna come straight to hulu isn't it yeah yeah, yeah. i'm down with that i'm down with it i'm a What's little apprehensive thing? in that predator franchise has historically not been very good but uh I'm willing to give it a shot. It's yeah. new creators this time. And then the other thing is just like the Obi-Wan shows coming. So they have. Oh, right. Is that the next Disney think show? It's the next one they're announcing. So I, I think we got the Book of Boba Fett. And then I believe the next season of The Mandalorian. And it's probably coming after that. You know what's crazy is that like the Book of Boba Fett was announced after Disney Plus Day last year at the end of The Mandalorian season two. Yeah. And it's the first one we're getting. Yeah, isn't that the crazy? last they one just announced is the first one? It. Why? Like that's a weird that's a weird release. Because they wanted it to be a surprise when they had oh, okay. it as a stinger at the end Fair of the enough. season. Right? Like it feels like Mandalorian is at the end of every season they have something that it's they're doing they're off. doing the MCU post credit, right? Like yeah. they had footage we had not seen of that fucking terrible movie, <laughs> Rise of Skywalker, at the end of the first season. So it was like I think every season they end it by like doing credits and then showing something and like a marvel stinger the ahsoka show coming out too but i don't think they that, said anything that was uh not announced on the mandalorian it was just like when we saw ahsoka in that episode everybody kind of knew we it was like, coming. oh yeah she's deaf they're not gonna waste rosario dawson on one throwaway episode no this is a this is a backdoor pilot like introduction to this character if you haven't watched clone wars or rebels or whichever one she's in she's in both yeah yeah like and that's what i was gonna say is almost always when it's a dave filoni show ahsoka breezes through it at some point yeah like clone wars she's one of the main people there's like three main characters that alternate and they will take other characters for points of view but your three main characters are ahsoka uh anakin and obi-wan when you get into rebels she's like the wise and older person who shows up for part of a season and then disappears and then like for this show, it's just like, you knew it was leading to something bigger. Filoni loves that character. He helped create that character. Makes like, sense. He absolutely loves that character. And he made sure to take the novel that was written about Ahsoka out of canon immediately. So like, you can tell he feels ownership over that character as well. Oh, speaking of which, we have gotten confirmation that Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. does not take place in the sacred timeline. Coulson is dead in the MCU. He's been dead ever since he was killed. What by was Loki. the confirmation we got? It was from the writers after Loki was finished because they actually mentioned Loki. If there is a throwaway line in an episode of Loki about Coulson being dead. Okay. And uh, so then the writers and like everybody was like, yep. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s not part of the sacred timeline. It's not. It makes sense because like A, it really wasn't on the level of the rest of the Marvel No, stuff. not at but all. But B, you got the Joss Whedon tie again. Even if he didn't necessarily showrun it, his, it he it helped his, create it. It was his brother that yeah. directed episodes and was a, one of the showrunners. But like he had his fingerprints it. on it at the beginning. And for like sure. People were letting everybody know like Joss Whedon is making this. So if you like Avengers, you better like I mean, Marvel's everything I say, I rarely say good things about about Joss Whedon, but he knows how to run a TV show. He's done it a bunch of times. Yeah. You know, and he run him into the ground. He can keep <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. I mean, his later stuff for sure. He ran Dollhouse into the ground. He ran, but he didn't run Buffy into the ground. That thing went on or for Angel. fucking way that too long. went on long. forever too. My favorite thing about Angel, by the way, is that every single building 
in the city that the show takes place in has a human-sized opening into the sewers. <laughs> Every single building has Sandy. man-sized sewer access. <laughs> Convenient. <laughs> Are you the know, Ninja Turtles underneath? They should be. That <laughs> would have like made that, that show better. Every episode of Ninja Turtles is like, there's always a sewer grate somewhere. <laughs> yeah. There always is. Yep. Oh, we need to get in the building? Probably more. Take the sewer, dude. Probably more in, that's probably more common in New York City, though. Yeah. Just where is Angel? Like, I think somewhere where there is, might be like an LA-ish or a small town. I think it's a smaller place. It's probably a made-up city. Yeah, right? I think it's a made-up city, but. There are parts of this country where everybody has a base. Like here in Montana, basements are very common. But there's a lot of regions of this country where basements are rare, like super rare. Everything is on the surface. There's like pipes underground, but there's no like big tunnels you can like walk through, you know? (laughs) Our like understanding of how of infrastructure has been severely warped by films and television. (laughs) Well, according to us, there's underground stuff everywhere. Helen has got a whole sewer system. We actually do have steam tunnels that used to be used as laundry for Chinese immigrants. But that's only in like one small part of of our town. Yeah, it's it's in our downtown. Yeah, everything else has all the sprawl away from that. There's there's like individual basements, but they're not connected to anything. No, no, they're really not. My parents' house is a hundred, like over a hundred years old, and it had an unfinished basement. <laughs> it had like it was all dirt, and it had these like weird tunnels that would go to the different corners of the house. But that was only so heating vents could get there because we had those old heaters with the big metal grate in the floor and the hot air would just blast out of it. Yeah. And I could sneak down out into the living room at one in the morning and turn the heat up to like 110 so that the fan would never turn off and I'd put a blanket over it and it'd create a bubble of warm air and I would just... You and my kids and my wife, dude. And <laughs> like then do my parents would come downstairs and I'd have forgotten to turn the heat back down and they would be like, do you realize how expensive... <laughs> heating this house is and i didn't get it because i was just a child (laughs) right (laughs) we got a new podcast real war project it's amazing the first episode which is up right now is talking about paths of glory stanley kubrick and aaron donaldson and charles horgan host it and they get in this very long argument about whether it's an anti-war film or if we've even seen an anti-war film that necessarily works it's a very smart argument that is entertaining as well and i just highly highly recommend this show so please check it out if you get a chance that's real war project i actually read an interview with the former marine this morning and he was talking about how Full Metal Jacket, mm-hmm. the authors of Full Metal Jacket, anti-war is their stance. And they're trying to be anti-war with Full Metal Jacket. But when Marines watch that movie, they don't think it's bad. <laughs> they get all psyched up and they're like, yeah, fuck yeah, Marines. So even if your intent is for something to be anti-war, doesn't mean that the audience is going to interpret it that way. And, and what you just said sums up Aaron's argument. <laughs> So don't even only listen to the other half of that. Only listen to the half to where Aaron Donaldson is not talking. Anytime Aaron Donaldson starts talking, mute and unmute it when the other guy's talking. No, I'm just kidding. Charles. Listen to them both. I I should add to – so 
Aaron, I don't remember what his exact position is right now, but at one point he's a professor in media studies and Charles has a purple heart. So like they have very, very unique perspectives on this. And I think it's just very, very fascinating. And they're just covering all these different war movies. I think Glory just came up as well. So there's two movies on the feed right now. I'm delighted with that. I'm very happy to have them on our network. So please check that out and we'll see you next week. Take it easy. Bye. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Follow us on Instagram at redwood underscore sound underscore labs, Facebook at facebook.com slash redwood sound labs, or email us at notsafernetwork at gmail.com. Not Safe for Network was created by Carl Borneman, Brandon Beardsley, and Alex Small. Produced by Alex Small. A podcast about the narrative and effective politics of war movies and their productions, too. Charles Horgan and Aaron Donaldson bring you a brand new podcast, The Real War Project. Dip in and out of subjects with Lauren and Sarah's irreverent points of view with the hilarious podcast, Dippers. Catch up with the week's pop culture news as well as reviews of new movies and shows, not to mention the occasional interview with Carl, Brandon, and Biggs on Not Safe for Network. Wrestlers wrestle, but sometimes they make movies too. This podcast lets you know how they do. Listen to Eric and Connor in all three seasons of Movies with Wrestlers. One by one, Jeremiah and Biggs break down influential movies and some wretched ones too in the podcast you can't miss, A Cosmic Void. 